You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Oz Network. As we come to you today for a bonus episode, sort of. Uh, we were meant to have done this the other day, but we didn't. And maybe we'll explain a little bit more in a moment, which we already explained on the other episode. But hey, we just like to confuse everyone because I like to confuse myself. We're here to recap the finale of Survivor. Winners at War, and I'm so excited to be joined by our biggest guest all season. We've had winners, oh. we've had other people, we've had Billy, but this is <laughs> the biggest guest because we had him on previously and we're having him again. He's one of the co-hosts of the show. It's Colin Hilding. <laughs> Colin. Oh, sorry, my name is Ben and here's Colin. <laughs> hey, I'm Colin. I'm a police officer. <laughs> it's the king. It's the king himself. <laughs> I just want to... Tell everybody, flashback seven days ago where I teased at the end of the the poverty recap, um, we have the biggest plan ever for our finale. (laughs) And if it falls through, you're probably going to be listening to me and Rossi and Jared and Ivan. (laughs) Well, we still had the biggest episode of the season, but now you're just getting me. So we both delivered and underdelivered at the same time. We did, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, we were, As we, if you've listened to the Marquesas reunion, if you haven't, listen to it now. It's great. Um, I sort of, yeah, stop listening to this crap. You don't need to hear from Colin and I. But um, <laughs> mentioned at the end of that 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 was our plan. Our plan was to have the Marquesas reunion as our end of season recap. We did a similar thing many years ago. I think it was Samuel Del Sur where we had four Thailand people and kind of build it as the Thailand reunion. So we we kind of had that organised and John Carroll had, had organised a few people. At, at one point it only looked like there was going to be like four or five people from our cases. Great. That was fine. We were happy with that. Then all of a sudden it just went boom, 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 boom. We had 11 people and then by the time I hit record there was 12 people and, and a 13th joined us even though she wasn't actually on the show. <laughs> she helped cast them. So it kind of spiraled into this bigger thing which we thought well we didn't really talk about winners at war at all (laughs) so i think we asked rob oh did you have fun this season (laughs) so that was it so we thought oh yeah we kind of should do a separate one billy was unavailable so we thought well colin uh (laughs) we're gonna get rocky but uh rocky i don't know if we asked him or not (laughs) but uh here's colin hello colin uh pleasure to have you back Thank you. I'm I'm glad to be back. Um, I, I think originally when there was supposed to be like four people on the Marquesas one, you're like, you know, you should join in too. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do that. And then the list just kept getting bigger and bigger. I'm like, you know, I'm not even going to ask if I'm still coming on this. I don't want to be part of this. This is too much. It was, I mean, it, in all seriousness, it was a lot of fun. You would have heard me glow at the end of that. And we've actually got a lot of feedback in the, the last few days. And I will just reiterate to a few people who have been asking us. Unfortunately, we, we didn't have any video recorded because... I'll be completely honest with you. That was the very first time I'd ever used Zoom. So I was I was learning. And I think with Zoom, the person who hosts the call has the ability to record it because I think I press a record button, but it said, you can't do this, only the host can. So that was John. And let's be honest, John was a little bit far gone by the time we got to the end of that episode. So I don't know if he knew what the record <laughs> button was. John so- was a little bit far gone by four in the afternoon that day. <laughs> As I said during the episode, I don't think I've ever done an episode with John sober, so no. you know it's 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 normal. But um, uh, we would have loved to have recorded the video. But I, the fact of the matter is, I've learned how to use Zoom now. So moving forward, um, we I actually, and I'm not going to say who. This is we're going to get into this episode. But I was 
contacted, well, sort of contacted. They commented on one of my posts, and I'm sure if you follow me on social media, you can see who I'm talking about, but we've had a bit of a talk in the last couple of days about doing another reunion for another season, which would excite me a lot more than my cases. I love my cases, but I love this season more. So uh, I don't know if it will happen or not, but if it does, it would be very, very exciting. So, uh, hey, Zoom is our friend now. We've joined the 21st century, Colin. I don't know if you've used Zoom yet. I haven't. I, I've seen screenshots of you using Zoom. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had been able to see the screenshot of you are not allowed to record this call. That would have been great. <laughs> and you know, the funniest thing, actually, a, a fun little story with it was that we were meant to, uh, John was like, okay, cool. We're going to have like an hour catch up. Then at like seven o'clock, we'll, we'll add you in and you can sort of press record and ask us some questions. So I got to about 10 past, quarter past seven. And I just sort of shot John a message saying like, hey, I'm ready. Just, you know, add me whenever. He gives me a quick phone call. He's like, yep, cool. We're just running a bit behind, but we'll call you in soon. Basically, as soon as I got off the call, he added me into the call. And I thought like, oh, okay, maybe we're ready to go. And I could see everyone. And Boston Rob was sitting with Amber, like right there. And I'm like, oh, it's Amber. Like, you know, Boston Rob, big name, interviewed him before. Not really that starstruck. I've never spoken to Amber before. So I'm like, oh, it's Amber. I'm going to get to say hello to Amber. I think John quickly realised, oh, Amber. I think John quickly realised, shit, I shouldn't have had a Ben, so he hung up on me. Uh, <laughs> by the time he eventually added me in, Amber was gone, and I sadly didn't get the opportunity to sneakily go, oh, Rob, we have a listener question from Rocky, who would love to get a hello from Amber if she's available. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my fun little... I, I at least saw Amber on Zoom. Does that... Yeah, that's exciting, is, right? Is it, <laughs> though, a little bit comforting? Because if anybody does listen to the audio, is it comforting to know that it kind of sounds like Peter Harkey may have taken a dump in front of you on camera? <laughs> so is it a good thing there's no video that was recorded? Not not the first time somebody's gone to the bathroom <laughs> on a recording. Then uh, that time I actually saw them go. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, that was probably a good thing. Um, that was a lot of fun, though. It was seriously. And and I think I mentioned on the recording, in our Survivor Oz days, there were only three Marquesas people that we'd never spoken to, and that was Pascal, Tammy, and Sarah. And they were all there. So we've 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 done the Pokemon. We've collected them all. We've we've gotten all of the Marquesas people. So I think that and um, Micronesia are the only two. I know we were missing one from one world. I mean, game changes. I met them all in person, but that doesn't count for the podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. We just like to brag at the beginning of these episodes. Don't we? We're used to it. We haven't done this in a while, let's be honest. So brag, brag, brag. Yeah, and, and seriously, stop listening to this one. If you accidentally were looking for the Marquesas reunion, now you're listening to this because it's the most recent episode up there, just stop listening to us and go to listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, just just go and do that right now, right now. And the funny thing also to the people commenting on social media, I wasn't on Marquesas. People keep messaging yeah. going, who is that guy? Is, is, <laughs> is, that, is, is that Zoe? Uh, what is, happened to is, is Gabriel? He looked off different. <laughs> Hunter's bold now. What's going on? Um, but, yeah, no, a lot of fun. And thanks, John, for organising that uh, once more. But uh, the Winners at War is over. Uh, it's it's crazy to think that, what, 12 months ago we were doing a series of episodes kind of speculating about what would happen because I think that's when the cast was leaked. And I remember, you know, I think I sat down with you, I sat down with Nick, uh, I think Rocky was involved at one point. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a new friend Rocky, our co-host. He's had a name change. Um, yeah, it was it was it was fun to talk about then, and we were just getting excited. We were getting giddy with the prospect of this season, and I can't believe it's over. We're, we're, it's it's done. It's it's done and dusted. But um, I mean, I for one thoroughly enjoyed the finale. Uh, this is the first time I think in a long time I was almost counting down the minutes to watch the finale. Uh, I, I don't think since Heroes vs Villains I've been that excited for it. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it and full on having heart attacks and nervous moments, particularly at the end there when Tony and Sarah are in the fire challenge. So, yeah, uh, I loved it. What what was your take on it? It was so intense and I had moments of frustration. I had moments of anger. <laughs> I had moments of elation. Uh, basically two hours after the episode finished airing, I still wasn't asleep because it was everything was running through my head. I mean, to me, this felt like and I understand it's it's an all star season. So you're going to be more excited. But I mean, this was like the old days of watching Survivor when you were just that into it. Like you said, counting down the minutes till it was on. You know, I, I had to wait until we had put the kids to bed because there's no sense in, you know, trying to watch it over th- three screaming children. But uh, at that point, I'm like, oh, enough of this has gone by that I can just watch this and skip the commercials and I don't even have to worry about pausing for breaks. And then I got caught up with the recording and there was like 40 minutes left. I'm like, Oh no, I don't want to watch commercials. I'm like, let me go get ready for bed. I was just, I just wanted to watch it all in one shot. I didn't have to have to worry about commercials and stuff like that. And then it was over and I was just on such a high. I mean, it reminded me of, you know, like the excitement of a new James Bond movie or new Star Wars movie coming out. Like you said, a year ago we were talking about this and then, Six months ago, we were, you know, uh, doing more speculation. And then a couple months after that, we're ranking the seasons and then we're doing preview episodes. I mean, this was what Survivor used to be like, you know, all the way back in the day when it was such a big deal. Yeah, completely agree. And it's kind of sad that it's over now. And it's also weird that we don't know what's happening next. We'll talk about that, no doubt, at some <laughs> point. This is, I think, the first time we've ever not known what the next season is. But um yeah, it was, and the thing I found interesting being in this part of the world now is that obviously on West Coast, we're sort of three hours behind the East Coast. So we kind of have to wait at least till 8 p.m. our time, which is 11 p.m. You know, it's just finishing basically over uh-huh. in the uh, the East. And you you get it the same time as the East, so don't, don't yeah. you? Central gets it like an hour early, right? So yeah, it, you're that, getting that, it that live. occurred to me. I thought, you know, oh, I wonder if I should be messaging Ben about this. But had I done that, I probably would have spoiled some for you because I completely forgot that, like, West Coast, you have to wait. So how do you even avoid spoilers if you have to I wait just, for the West Coast feed? Just, just don't look at my phone. Don't go on social media. <laughs> like, I, I do the smart thing. Uh, but, I mean, in all seriousness, like, it is kind of tricky because you just your brain is just on autopilot sometimes. You just pick up your phone and go, oh, what's happening on Facebook in the last 10 minutes? And you're like, oh, shit, no, put it down. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think I accidentally went on Twitter within 10 minutes of it starting and I saw um, Justin from The Amazing Race saying something like, oh, well, Natalie blew all her advantages. So I'm thinking like, well, okay, well, I just got spoiled. Natalie's not getting back into the game. Yeah. But <laughs> clearly he was wrong. Um, well, I mean, she did waste them, but I guess, you know, that part afterwards. But I- I'll be honest with you. Like, I mean, I living in Australia, I certain have always acquired the episodes a certain way. And I still did that, but like it was about half an hour in after watching it on TV with ads. And then all of a sudden it was available for me to acquire it on the internet. And uh, I then just watched that version because it didn't have the ads in it. So I'm like you, I, I can't stand ads. So yeah. I'm just, and let's be honest, the first ad break took like 20 minutes to get to. Mm-hmm. And then we came back like two minutes and then we were back to another ad. So, you know, it was strange, but um 
I don't even know where we want to begin with this episode. I mean, Tony is a two-time winner, Colin Hilding. Yeah. Like, like you, you, we covered Samuel Del Sur, and we also covered Cagayan, which was the season that he was on. And- <laughs> I was thinking for a second, <laughs> where are you going with this? <laughs> You think there was a segue there somewhere, but um, <laughs> clearly that's my two-thirds math going on again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a subtle little moment that people have not sent me a message about, except for Colin Hilding. Um, <laughs> we covered Kagayan when it was airing, and just we remember everything about that in terms of like, oh, you know, Tony's not going to win and, you know, Tony's going. And then the whole time, what are we saying? Oh, Tony won. Somebody like Tony should not win. Like, this isn't crazy that he won. He ended up, what, third on our overall greatest players of all time list when we spent all those days ranking people. We speculated just how good of a player this guy is and people said, oh, no, this is just recency bias, all this kind of crap. And then... You know, even after game changes coming into this season, we were still like, oh, he can't win. Like, you know, he's just too big of a player. There's no way he's going to win. But he won. <laughs> like, yeah. Tony Flackos won and he's a two-time winner of Survivor. Th- this is crazy. I-, I can't believe that we can say these words because this this is insane. This is, let's be honest, we all wanted somebody like Tony to win this season. We, mm-hmm. we wanted somebody big Big player, exactly. We wanted him or Boss and Rob or Parvati, you know, one of these big players, big names, Sandra, to win because otherwise, you know, it's it's going to be like All-Stars when Amber won, not to take away from Amber, but it's just going to be like that. But it happened. It actually happened. This this would have been like if Colby or Ethan or Richard Hatch or, you know, Rob Sestanino won All-Stars. This is what we wanted and we've got this. So... I'm. I, this is what I think makes this season even more better for me is that I can come out of this and go, holy crap, this guy won. And to me, hands down now, the, the GOAT, the greatest player. Yeah. He overtakes Brian to me as the greatest player of all time, easily. Uh, just incredible. And I don't want to take anything away from Sandra winning the second time. I mean, when Sandra won for Heroes vs. Villains, it was like, I can't believe she played the same strategy as the first time, and it worked, but it was an under-the-radar strategy. She was playing a strategy that would get her to the end. Tony, ha- this time, had to play a strategy that shouldn't have gotten him week by week. I mean, <laughs> how yeah. he was able to do that. I, mean, I think that's the biggest difference. I do believe that there is something to be said for the fact that he had a much bigger target on him than Sandra did in Heroes vs. Villains. And again, that's not taking anything away from Sandra, but I think what his obstacles were with being against all winners – being one of the most known winners, one of the most notorious winners, whose game was so on the table that you thought you knew everything about him. And it was the way he pulled it off this season. Like, it is a story arc like I don't think we've ever seen before, where he comes in and he's like, I'm going to be the goofy, non-threatening guy. And we look back on that latter thing, and at the time, it almost played off like, oh, man, Tony, this is hilarious. But, like, Tony's clearly got a few screws loose. I 100% believe that he intentionally wanted a bad ladder to make him seem less threatening. I think that's just the type of game he was playing. And, you know, I mean, it's been a while before we've had a player who really dominated the screen time like this, especially in an all-star season, like you said. It's it's almost like they want to edit the uh, the winner out usually so you have a surprise. But this time the surprise was, like you said, Tony should never win this game one time, let alone twice. And to do it the way he did it is so satisfying. I think that this entire season, what they've done so well just from a production point of view, is set up the stories. From Tony to Sarah to Michelle, they had 
a very clear story they were telling for every person, and it just it worked out perfectly in the end in the finale. Completely agree, and that's just what I think this season. A lot of people have been saying, like, is this a top ten season? Is this one of the best seasons of all time? And I think I don't know how you would think about it right now, but like it, to me, this is one that it takes a little bit to digest. But I, I right now, if I had to say, I think yes, this goes down as a top ten season right now. But again, it's something I'd really have to think about. But like with Tony, like it's interesting, like the Sandra comparison too, because clearly we were always going to have this comparison no matter who won this season. And well, I've seen won. a lot. Yeah, in, in exactly. <laughs> it would have been no question. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people have been saying, I've seen a lot of comments, you know, oh, Sandra's is better because she won back to back and, you know, she was 100%. And, you know, I mean, again, this is, we can do a whole episode on this because I can see arguments all different sides, but. I think definitely, like what you said with Tony, it's kind of, he adapted, he changed it. And the thing too that like a lot of people will bring up, oh, well, he went out second in Game Changers. He mentioned in our exit interview the other day with him, and this is something that I spoke to him years ago at the Game Changers finale, and I wanted to know, and he confirmed it then too. He basically said, I had no chance in Game Changers. I went out there just and was just a goofball, knew I had no chance, and just did what I did because I knew I was going home early. Like, he didn't Mm -hmm. take it seriously. So he deliberately went out there and was just like, fuck it, I'm going home early, let's just do what I can. So to me... When somebody can admit that, like, that's kind of like, well, you're never going to have a chance anyway. Like, I don't really put that as a mark against his game. And the thing that's also great about Tony as well, that saying that, like, he adapts his game to change it and all that sort of stuff, and he did, there's still so many elements, I think, of the original Tony that are there within his Mm -hmm. second time around that, again, he still wins. And it's like, it's it's insane that as well you think he got no votes against him. Like, you you think about... Boston Rob, you think about Sandra Parvati, these people who are always got targets. I mean, Boston Rob said on the Marquesas reunion the other day, he said, like, look, I knew I was basically going to be the biggest target out there. I was just going to have fun. And Boston Rob still made it a lot further than a lot of us think he did. But, like, Tony, you know, to even get, even if he had have lost that challenge to Sarah or even if he had have gone fifth or sixth, we still would be sitting here going, like, holy crap, how did Tony get that far? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that he won, it's just... It's mind-boggling. This guy is absolutely just batshit crazy. He's batshit a legend. And he just, he has something about him that just transcends into genius when it comes to Survivor. And uh, people who watch Australian Survivor will get this when I say this. He's like a David Jannett. Like I said, David Jannett is Australia's Tony. He's somebody who shouldn't win but he did. He won All-Stars. Spoiler alert, Colin, and other people who have not seen All-Stars. <laughs> David didn't win his first season, but he got a lot further than he really should have. And he came back, backed that game up and won All-Stars. So it's kind of, you know, they've got something about them, these type of people, where it's like you really should be targeting them. But the games are just so good. Socially, they're good. You want to be near them and with them and you just don't realise all the things that they're doing. And, oh, this... He's incredible. Tony's incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if you're one of these people out there who's because of the the very Tony heavy edit we had this season, which, by the way, go back and watch the show. Everybody had had Michelle probably had more screen time than Tony did in the last couple episodes. So it's not like just because he he dominated the game and all the other characters were talking about him. I love what you say characters for survival <laughs> characters are talking, about, but all the other players are talking about him. Don't let that, you know, uh, ruin the opinion of his game because, like you mentioned, no votes against him. When they said that in the finale, I'm like, they're right. Like, how is that possible? Because every week he was the target. And sure, he won some immunities, but even the ones he didn't win immunities, no votes against him. Like, and, and that's crazy. 
Um, and, and with the game changers thing, in, in a weird way, I think that that helped him. And I, I wonder if Tony himself like thought, you know, in the back of his head, you know what? I know that even if I get voted out first, which I probably will, I'll come back again. This might actually help me <laughs> to not be threatening this time. And I think that's the difference between him and Sandra. You know, during Game Changers, we talked about the fact that somehow Sandra went out early in Game Changers and still improved her legacy as a player. And that's because yeah. she played harder than we've ever seen her play before. And it was impressive for that. But I think that's the reason why Sandra was a target this time around and Tony wasn't. The most recent thing in people's memories is even if Sandra doesn't win, she is scary. People's most recent memory of Tony from Game Changers was, you know what? Maybe his win was overrated. So so that that's pro- something that probably helped him in the long run. Yeah, and that's a good point, actually. I haven't thought about that. But um, I think, too, like, it's important when you look at these legends that we talk about, you know, and a lot of people now are really putting out the speculative speculative. Rushmore, the Mount Rushmore of Survivor now, basically saying that this is 100% now Tony, Sandra, Rob, and Parvati. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, there's an episode we can talk about because I feel Richard Hatchie's missing. I was <laughs> I thinking there's only Hatch, four yeah. heads. I know there's only four heads, but, um, yeah, no, Richard Hatch needs to be acknowledged somewhere. But it's it's kind of interesting when you look at these legends about how they adapt and how they do their multiple seasons and things like that, like... Somebody actually, I think it was Gordon Holmes, tweeted the other day, like, you know, would Russell Hance be a two-time winner if he had Tony's social game? <laughs> and it was kind of like, well, that would be a different debate because, you know, the big argument against Russell is no one saw his first game, you know, because he played back-to-back. So kind of he was helped a lot in Heroes vs. Villains. And we saw how that played out from on, on Redemption Island. So, you know, you have these players who are able to adapt, but, you know, the true greats, the true greats that we even put in that conversation of a Mount Rushmore, you know, they are able to adapt and at least improve and still stick around a long time. I mean, poverty, like, you know, she is able to back up what she did in Micronesia and Heroes vs. Villains. And, you know, she, again, lasted probably a little bit longer this time around than a lot of people said. Boston Rob, you know, he's, he's generally a hit and a miss player. But, I mean, he never goes first or second, does he? Like, he still yeah. makes it a few things. And this time around, again, arguably probably the biggest target you would say of anyone. And he still lasted how many votes this time around and actually did pretty good. Uh, you know, Sandra, as you said, game changes. We talked about how she improved her game. There were still moments in this season around where you would say, like, she did well. Like, you know, she was still playing a bit of a different game than Sandra used to. And and the one that we always never talk about in these conversations, because she's sadly never won, is Sari, of course, mm-hmm. who just owns everything and just absolutely just dominates things, just can't pull off the win at the end. So, you know, there's a certain level of player that does this and is able to do that. And... You know, Tony just showing it that it, it is no fluke. And it's just, yeah, I'm still lost for words that freaking Tony won this season. Like, it's just insane. And, and we really have to add to this. I mean, Tony pulled off a win the first time. Arguably, he, yeah, he had allies, but it was his win. To me, this was still the win of Tony and Sarah as a team. Because I don't mm. think Tony gets this far without Sarah. And Sarah definitely doesn't get this far without Tony as well. And. I thought that it was so perfect, again, looking at their three seasons, to see the story arc of Tony burns Sarah, Sarah burns Tony. Somehow they work together. And what was so great about that was that I was questioning it all the way to the end, you know? And and then when you see that final moment where they're up against each other and then she's gone, and I, I think that was probably the most emotional thing I've ever seen on Survivor, like way more emotional than any family challenge And it was really only at that moment that you realize 
Like they were 100% with each other at the end. It wouldn't have mattered that it would have been hard for either to beat, like Tony would have struggled to beat Sarah. Sarah would have struggled to beat Tony. And I don't think that would have mattered to them. And I think that's what makes me appreciate both Tony and Sarah at the same time. But Tony, because he did win, I appreciate even more because I know 100% he would have gone to the end with the hardest person to beat. And you have to appreciate somebody who's, against so many obstacles this season because he is one of the top five targets top five baby one of the top five (laughs) targets in this game manages to make it there and then despite never getting a vote against him was always the target and still you know he would have gone to the end with the best competition yeah it's, it's crazy to think that and i love these kind of little stats where you look at tony and sarah that of the three seasons they've all been on, they've all been on together and one of them's won every single time. <laughs> like yeah. It's kind of, I remember there used to be that stat many years ago with Australian Outback contestants that if an Australian Outback contestant returned, that always make the top four or something ridiculous mm. like that. And I think we've also got something similar now with Samuel Del Sur. I think that kind of a returning huh. player from Samuel Del Sur will always make top four. Because what? Jeremy won Cambodia. Um, Natalie, top oh, well, three. Natalie, well, Kelly Wentworth didn't. What did she get in? What was that season that had returning players that I always forget about? Edge of Extinction, that had returning yeah. players, didn't it? She didn't make it that far. Okay, well, that blows that out of the water. But she's at least made, what, top four, top five on second chances. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's a loose connection there. But, you know, obviously, and with Natalie as well, like, if you're if you're a twinny, you're either going to be voted out first, yeah. make the final tribal council, or in the case of this season, both. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love these little stats. You mentioned about the edits before and like a lot of people thinking like Tony had such a heavy edit. And I don't have the confessional count for the finale. I've got it up to episode 13. Tony only at to that point, 59 confessionals. Next best, uh, Sarah on 35, which, okay, there's a 24 gap discrepancy. But you would think a lot of people are saying that Tony would have had like 80 and, you know, Sarah had like 50. But Tony went very... There was a few episodes there where he did not get many confessionals at all. Like, you look at the sort of that middle part of the game. Episode four, one confessional. Episode five, one confessional. Episode six, two confessionals. Episode seven, one confessional. So, like, he actually did go through a bit of a stretch there where there wasn't many, you know, much airtime for him. And then behind him, like, Sarah, 35. Michelle, 33. Ben, 32. I didn't realize he had so many. Uh, And Jeremy, 31. Again, that's no doubt different after the finale. I don't know what the final numbers are. But um, it is a seemingly even spread confessional season, which, as you said, kind of shows that they've they've edited this season pretty well. Even Danny, who only got 14, sadly, uh, Wendell, 13. That includes Edge of Extinction ones. I still feel like Wendell got a bit of a story arc, you know, more so yeah. than that. I feel Danny in her, you know, couple of episodes that she was on was still pretty prominent in those early episodes. So, you know, I think it has been a very evenly edited season. Well, the episode, the Tony heavy episode, which Rossi and I, yeah, Rossi and I briefly discussed this too because he was saying like, oh, you know, it was just too much Tony for me. And I'm like, but what other choice did they make? They threw a a twist out there that would force the episode to be 100% behind a person. So it's not Tony's fault he had all the screen time in that episode. That was the, the twist. But how many did he have in that episode? 18. That was, was a record, a non-finale record, tied with Colby yeah. for the most in a single episode. Yeah. So if you consider that that is literally just the way the story had to play out, there was no other way around having everything revolve around him in that episode, that would put him and Sarah pretty even for the season. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it was interesting, like, with Sarah too because, you know, there were, there were moments there, like, Sarah was getting a good edit, then all of a sudden she had that episode where she, what, like, gave up the reward and kind of everyone was like, oh, okay, no, she's screwed now. Mm. And then all of a sudden in this finale, like, she was getting such a sort of a focus on kind of this, you know, oh, I'm going to do it for women because, you know, we get shut down and all these kind of things. Like, it all of a sudden was turning into this, like, wow, this really empowering edit, she's maybe going to win here. And they did the whole cool red herring thing in that fire challenge where her rope was about to burn and I'm like, going, no, no, no. And like, I love Sarah. Like, let's be honest. If Sarah had won that, I would have gotten over my disappointment and I would have been rooting for Sarah to win. But I was so on the Tony train that I was just like, you know, no, 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 come on, Tony. But, yeah, I mean, I back to what you said about these two working together. It's just, is this the greatest duo in Survivor history? Yes. Be- because, Absolutely. like, you think, you think about where they've, started to where they are today like Kagayan like they were against each other and and that episode where Sarah got voted out the merge episode that was voted out number one episode of all time in Survivor history when on Survivor Oz we voted we got our audience to vote for the top 25 episodes of all time again at the time recency bias recency bias but I would argue probably to this day it's it's a top three episode like that yeah. was an epic episode of Survivor um so Sarah involved in there game changes of course you know Tony out early. They never got to play with each other, but Sarah took Tony's game, essentially. And as Tony said in the uh, exit interview the other day, he almost argues that she did it better than he did. So, you know, there's Sarah taking that there. And then now all of a sudden they're back together and they're working together. And I, I thought early on when you saw these two teaming up again, I'm like, oh, Sarah's totally going to blindside him. Like Sarah's going <laughs> to backstab him and, you know, not do this. But then they just kept working together. It was... Mm-hmm. It was crazy, but, I mean, yeah, I can't think of another duo that would be the greatest in Survivor. It's got to be these two. Yeah, like, there's there's a handful that I think were so much fun to see in Iraq. Like, Richard and Rudy would be, obviously, mm-hmm. the original and one of the best. But the difference is you don't really see them strategizing together, and they don't have a story, you know? Tony and Sarah have a story. I mean, from Cops Are Us you know, one, two, and three. <laughs> and this this is the the franchise of, of Cops Are Us. Is what we've got. The <laughs> Cops Are Us uh, extended universe. Uh, but I think that's what sets them apart. And the funny thing is, is that you don't see them interact that much together. When they do, it's just game talk. You don't really see a bond. And I think that's what made that final moment so good. You know, when they basically were against each other, but then it was the aftermath of that and just two of them totally breaking down, you realize they were so tight and that was almost hidden from the audience. Maybe it was hidden from the audience or maybe they just are these two types of people. I mean, I'm sure everybody has people like that. It's like, you're very close to the person, but it's not like, you know, you, you hang out with them. It's not like you talk to them that much, but it it was, it was just a a incredible moment to see that finally culminate, especially because like you said, and I said it earlier, you were expecting this entire season. This is not going to last because why should it? When was the last time we saw somebody take the best of the end? It, it was woo, okay? We saw what worked out for him. But nobody's ever going to do that, especially when you have two players that are that strong. And they would have gone to the end against each other. And I, I was really hoping for that. And that's where my frustration in this episode came is that we were kind of raw for that. And it's nothing against, you know, Natalie or Michelle but I got like really upset that they were in the finale just because I wanted Tony and Sarah so bad. It's interesting too because we do live in a day and age of Survivor where long-term alliances I feel never last kind of. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about resume building and all these kind of crap that they say now. But 
I mean, well, we had it with Wendell and Dom on Ghost Island. So that was kind of one sort of aspect that we've had that recently. But, I mean, it's been a long time. It's been such a long time uh, that this has kind of been a thing. I mean, game changers, I guess, Sarah, with with Brad and Troyzan, kind of. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, what, I Worlds the- Apart was the last time we had some sort of strong sort of group go deep, basically. Yeah, but based I, on- I think... Even in those cases, I mean, Dom and Wendell, yeah, there's an argument for that. Although I think that to each other, they didn't see each other as a much, much of a threat. But with yeah. the other ones, like you said, Worlds Apart and, and Game Changers, there was one person who was standing out above the others in those. And I think that's the biggest difference. I, I 100% believe that Tony would have questioned whether he could beat Sarah in the end. And Sarah 100% would have questioned if she could beat Tony in the end. And that's why it's so crazy because I don't think that either of these thought they had the game as a lock. I I'd lo- I mean, that would be, again, we don't do a lot of Survivor content anymore. And if we did Survivor Osteel, this would be things we do there. I mean, that would be another great episode to do, like best duos in yeah. Survivor history. And, I mean, you mentioned Richard and Rudy. I'm thinking of Elizabeth and Roger just randomly just stick mm-hmm. out to me. Um, Tom and Ian. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. I guess you could put in Rob and Amber, maybe. Um, <laughs> I mean, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only survivor duo to procreate. I guess they got that yeah. going for them. <laughs> well, did they have Keith and Whitney had a baby? Um, oh, have they? Uh, do we want know. them in the best duos? I don't. <laughs> oh, I would. Yeah, I know oh. you love them. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, there'd be a few out there. But um, anyway, that, that's another one. The, the the one, I think the move, though, in this episode that really cost any chance of Sarah getting to the end was her decision to vote out Ben, mm-hmm. um, which, yeah, look, Michelle talked a little bit about that in the, the exit interview about kind of some, you know, things that had happened in that episode that we didn't get to see, but... I think had Sarah stuck with Ben and not voted him out, we would have had that, surely. We would have had that at the end. Uh, we would have had a Sarah, you know, thing at the end going there. But, I mean, that was the bit that I think was, like, oh, you know, damn it, I, I think Sarah's made a bad move there because I don't think she's going to go there anymore. And it, it was kind of sad that I didn't get a chance to speak to Sarah the other day to, to kind of ask that question to her. I'm sure she's been asked of it a lot anyway. But, I mean, what did you think of that that move? And also the fact that Ben kind of just... Lay down. That was a bit yeah. of an interesting uh, move there. Not something I would have expected from Ben. I, I think you could definitely admire Ben for that. I mean, this is a long – I sort of made the argument when back when we were doing Survivor Oz, should Roger be considered a quitter? Because he did kind of quit. It's an admirable quit, but he quit. And I think it's the same thing with Ben. This almost qualifies as a quit. But – there is something you have to admire about the fact that he knew he wasn't going to win this anyways. So he's like, why don't I just push for the person I want to win this the most, which which was great. I mean, it wasn't going to be Denise. You know, he had to back another horse. Uh, I think that had Denise still been there, Ben wouldn't have done this. Uh, and I think that that's ultimately what it came down to. He's like, you know, I'm not going to go up against Tony and Sarah in the end. Maybe if I went up with Denise, it would have been something different. Uh, so I, I, I can kind of get why he did that and I can appreciate it just for the sake of story. Uh, I don't know if we're going to disagree on this cause I do agree with you that that is the reason Sarah wasn't in the final three. Uh, had they not taken out Ben, she's sitting in the final three, no questions asked, but does she win? I think that's the most interesting. I, I, I really got what she was saying because you are going up against Tony, and it would have been a tough vote one way or the other, but she would need something to put her over the edge. Tony did have moves and things he did 
that he could argue, I didn't do this with Sarah. Sarah and I worked 100% together, but here's something I did on my own. And Sarah at that point was acknowledging even herself, you know what, at least from the jury's point of view, I don't have that. I need to do something. And the fact that Tony didn't hold it against her in any way, like that, that was another thing yeah. just for Tony and Sarah being the greatest duo of all time. They just come back from that. It's like, all right, okay, I see what you did. <laughs> Let's work together. Let's get to the finals. Um, so yes, that's the reason we didn't see her in the final three. She did cost herself a shot at the final three with that. But if I were her, like, I, I said this first, let me just heap all my love on Sarah right now. Going back to Kega and that was, I think only the second season I was ever involved in Survivor Oz, but it was the first one where I was involved on the episodes enough where I could talk about it, you know, throughout the course of the season. And there are a lot of people very down on Sarah. And I was like Sarah defender number one for that season, even though I acknowledge, you know, it wasn't the best game she played, but I've always made the same argument when people say, oh, she was cocky. She was arrogant. Um, if you watch that episode, that was only in confessionals. And you see the same thing here, like with the the earlier vote with the, the, the Denise vote um, where they didn't listen to Tony. Whenever she's interacting with Tony, she's not abrasive. She's not cocky. She's not arrogant. She is in a confessional to the camera, but I think that that's one of the things that I picked up on Sarah the first season, but I loved Sarah so much in Kegayan. And then in game changers to actually see her really play the game. Like I've, I've said since that season aired, that's the closest I've ever seen somebody play to the way that I would play survivor. So Sarah will always be top five, top five, baby, <laughs> uh, top five favorite survivor players of all time for me. Um, and I, I can say I would have done the same thing she did. I would have thought, you know what, I could guarantee myself a spot in the final three or I could potentially go out next but guarantee that if I make the finals, I have a better shot. And I think that's what I loved so much. about. Let me throw another Marquesas reunion story on here. You know, uh, the, the casting agent who is probably the best thing on the Survivor uh, Marquesas reunion episode. Yeah. Robin, so good. Um when she was telling the story about Boss and Rob getting cast, and I won't spoil the whole story because it is literally the greatest story I think I've ever heard in the history Never of Survivor. Never heard that before. That was a great story. <laughs> so good. Um, but there was something that she said to Rob where, where she was telling him he needed to audition for a second time. And he's like, are you telling me that I'm only going to be on the season if I do this? No, I'm telling you there's no way you, you, you're, you're not going to make the show if you don't do this. <laughs> and that's kind of the way that I see Sarah's move. She's like, i potentially not going to make the finals – if, you know, I don't just, you know, go with the flow, if, if I just keep Ben, I will make the finals, but am I going to win? And I think I'd be exactly like her. I would rather go out fourth and have a shot at winning if it all works out than guarantee myself a spot at number two. I think you make a great point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, I mean, I remember talking during the episode when I'm watching with Mallory about like, you know, like, oh, you know, yeah, this is a move that she's got to make. But at the same time, is she pissing Tony off? Is she going to be seen by the jury as someone who's just going to backstab her loyal alliance at the end and all this sort of stuff? I mean, you got to weigh those options up. But I guess we do live in the day and age now where people are like, oh, you've got to have the resume and kind of that stuff. So that's where she's gone with it. And Sarah is such a fascinating, fascinating person and player. Like you talked about during Kagayan, a lot of us were anti-Sarah. I, I think I led that train. I I regarded her as one of the worst players, I think, of all time at that moment. I, was, I couldn't get over how I thought bad she did. And I'm looking here at the our rankings list. We had her up at 225. This was pre-game changes. I put her up 
and you and Noah vetoed it, but uh, didn't get a third to to back that up. And now uh, I I would rank her as a top ten player. Um, I mean, I think kind of on my winners rankings just before this season, I had her at like eleventh or twelfth, maybe. Um, but I mean, her game changes game just threw me, uh, you know, into her fan club so much. I'm like, wow. And I think the more and more I think about her on that season, I just, it, it, it amazes me. Uh, it amazes me how well she did that time around and to improve and maybe the best improvement of any single player ever in Survivor to go from where she did to what she became. So, and again, that's another episode. You can debate that with lots of other returning players. Of course you can, but it's just, it's crazy to see what she did there. She, she's she's like a poverty. She's like a, you know, a, a Sari or not really Sari because she did well the first time out, but like one of these players who maybe you're not expecting to come back and do as well as they did a second time, you know, a, a Jenna Lewis, you know, someone like that who, mm. who came out and was like, holy crap, actually they're a really good player. I can see why they were brought back. People will hate me for saying this, but separate the character from the person, a Cochrane. Yeah. Yeah. Should Cochrane have ever, you know, gotten as far as he did? No. I mean, that's true. Uh, that That is true. I mean, I, I definitely prefer Cochrane 1.0 than 2.0, but it's still, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying there. So, yeah, she's she's just fascinating. And the the one interesting stat that we had a listener send this in, and I, I apologise to all the listener questions that we got for the Marquesas one that we didn't get to uh, that didn't really fit relevant into this episode. But somebody pointed out a very interesting stat that the final four women of this season were the last four female winners. And I actually think mm. that if you extend that to the last six eliminated, because you include Kim and Sophie there, I think you actually then have you've got the last six female winners or were the last six women left in the game. Now I don't know what that implies. I, I don't know what we can read into that. I mean we now what six I have a theory. Six seasons removed from a female winner. So Sarah still is the reigning female champion of Survivor. But that's a very interesting thing to think about. The fact that you have what? Natalie, Michelle, Denise, and Sarah our last four female winners, and they were the last four female ladies left in this game. Female ladies. That's an interesting sentence, Ben. Um, <laughs> female ladies. <laughs> female ladies, as opposed to all those male ladies out there. Uh, I don't know. What, what's your theory on this? I think if, if – so if you look at seasons one through 20, um, and, and this isn't necessarily playing into what Sarah's argument was because I actually – that's one thing I do disagree with Sarah on where she was saying like, you know, if a guy – makes a move he's a rock star if a girl makes it you know uh she's the worst human being ever live because i don't agree with that because they would cut to a shot of the jury and we're seeing parvati sitting next to boston rob and i guarantee parvati is viewed more positively even as a villainous player sandra perfect example right hands down but i think it's been so long since we've seen that um maybe it's the way that survivor has edited their seasons we've had dominant female players win but as far as characters go, when you look at Survivor seasons one through 20, it's like they were maybe the show wasn't afraid to show them or maybe women were just playing a lot dirtier back then. But, you know, Jenna Maraska, uh, Sandra, Parvati, the female winners we had during those first 20 seasons, they were a, definitely a lot more balls to the walls villainous mm. <laughs> whereas the winners the female winners we've seen in the last 20 seasons have been maybe more diplomatic it has been kim's and i think sarah would probably be the closest thing but her demeanor is just so you know even though she's a cop so non-threatening that you don't view her in the same way so those female winners from seasons one through 20 tend to i think come across as being 
a lot more threatening and villainous, whereas the 21 through 39 female winners, either through editing or just through the way that they played the game differently, played much more low-key, subtle games. So you had Michelle's and Kim's and Sophie's who didn't seem so threatening. And some of it is the editing. You know, obviously, Michelle and Sophie didn't necessarily get the strongest edits. We kind of made that argument a couple weeks ago that it's nothing against Michelle and Sophie as players, but we think that the show dropped the ball by not pumping up their win enough. But Kim's definitely was pumped up. It's just, it's a different type of character that we've seen win on the female side in the last, whereas I think it's the opposite for the males. You had a lot of Ethan's and Yule's in the first 20 seasons, and then you had a lot of Ben's and Mike Holloway's and a lot more alpha male types in the second 20 seasons. Yeah, and I was about to raise that point. Like, it's, I think we haven't even had that, the male side of things, these kind of, you know, villainous ones. And I'm with you. Like, I didn't really want to bring this up too much as an issue in this episode, but I I think that, yeah, I don't agree with Sarah as well, because I think you have some of the most celebrated female players in all of Survivor are villainous, as you said, and they're, they're applauded for what they've done. You know, I mean, Sari has... Arguably exact- all of them. Yeah. Yeah, all of the most applauded are the villainous ones. And that's what we love, and I don't think that any Survivor fan talks down against that. I mean, Sarah's winners in its own was kind of, you know, applauded for what she did in that way. So it was an interesting thing she raised up. I also love the fact that Cass on Twitter basically was like, how far we've come when I brought up this whole situation about sexism, I was shut down, but now yeah. Sarah brings it up and it's applauded. She's like, it's Kagayan 2.0 again. But um, I mean, the interesting thing too is that, again, we've gone six seasons now without a female winner. That period you talked about, seasons, you know, 1 to 20 and then 21 through to... Uh, 40, basically, uh, we've had six female winners between 21 and 40 and, what, nine between 1 and 20. So, I mean, that's a big discrepancy. We've, we've lost a lot of female winners in the last 20 seasons. Uh, and, again, like... And, well, lot- and for a while there, for a while there, women were way outnumbering the men too. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Early on, it was, it was it seemed like females were winning it more often. Um, and it's just... I mean, so I'm reading a lot of people speculating about this, and there was actually a very good little stat that somebody raised that this female drought in winning has come since the final fire challenge. And that was something that I'm like, mm. well, that's an interesting little thing. Like, has that got to play into it? I don't know what you think of that. I personally think get rid of the final fire challenge. I liked it the first season. I hate it now. <laughs> um, but it's like, yeah. I don't know. Is that Does that play into it? Does this fire challenge prevent women from the women that would win getting to the end? Because, I mean, I, I, I still think there are some women in the last five seasons that could have won. I mean, Chrissy in Heroes Hillers Hustler, I still oh, think, got yeah. robbed of getting even close to a win. She is a, such an underrated player. Not to take away from Ben's win, but my God, that woman's amazing. But yeah, I don't know. Like, does that fire, final fire challenge prevent women from having a better chance of winning this game based on how it works now? I don't think that... I, I think it still ultimately just comes down to who they're choosing to go uh, head-to-head in these things because at least what we were presented with on the show... Michelle looked like she was a better bet to beat Tony and Natalie from even what the jury was saying, Natalie, if there's anybody out there who was going to beat Tony, it was going to be Natalie. And I don't fault her for not going up again. Again, she was maybe playing the opposite of what Chris Underwood did. And I think this is something that would she ever have won? No, but Chris Underwood, you know, 
he's like, I'm going to take every chance I get because I need to win. Whereas Natalie's like, I got to take every chance I get because I need to get to that final three. So I don't fault her for not going up against him, but nobody had built fire more than Natalie. She had to. She was the only one who was by herself for who knows how long. Um, so I, I think that if we had had Natalie, it was just it was just the choice. It was just what happened on this season. For me, the fire challenge, I loved it for at least a couple seasons because it was a way to shake it up and and to take a bit of the um, disappointment away from what we were getting in finales. Uh, I understand why people who said, oh, they threw this out there, you know, this was just uh, a, a way to rig the game so Ben won or whatever. And I disagree from the beginning. I'm like, no, they're doing this so that the players have to think on their feet and so that we're not getting these boring final threes anymore. Yeah. So I was all for it, but it's at the point now where there's enough people who have figured this out that we're going to just get boring final threes again because it's really no different than who you want to take, who do you want to vote out? You know, it's Kathy and Lex going out all over again. So part of this is me responding is I really wanted Sarah to make it to the end. I would have been crushed if, you know, Sarah or Tony was gone, but I think they just need to keep thinking on their feet, like figure out another way so that we can get the best finals we can make it do fine, do a fire challenge, but then do a final three challenge. Don't make it a final three, make it a final two, do something to just keep surprising the players. The whole reason they throw twists out there every season and idols and all these things is because they don't want players figuring out the game so that it just becomes boring and predictable. Cause that's happened. Uh, one world is, is a good example. They, they threw a twist out there that did not necessarily keep the players on their feet. And it just resulted in a very, you know, predictable game. Um, and I think ever since then they've tried to do, let's, let's switch up how many people we have in tribes. Let's switch up how many tribes we have. Let's throw returning players, uh, in with, you know, new players. Let's throw Island of idols, ghost idol <laughs> islands, what, whatever Island or idol twist you can have out there just to keep the players thinking so that the game is fresh. They just need to come up with something new to keep the game fresh. And sometimes it'll be just a little thing like, hey, it's a final two instead of a final three. Or maybe one of these times we have a final four and we have the jury get to vote, you know, a person out. And that gives us our our finals or whatever. But it, it, I don't think it really is a problem with the fire challenge. It's just you need to you need to take a little bit of the power away from the players when it comes down to that few people in the game. Considering we're at a point now where 16 fucking people are sitting on the jury, it's not going to be surprising if we just yeah. have, you know, <laughs> oh, welcome to day one of Survivor. You're all at the final tribal council. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeff Probst is the jury. He decides who wins. Um, <laughs> I think we need to talk about Natalie because, I mean, you know, two, two Edge of Extinction seasons where the returning person has, has made it to the end. And... Natalie was an absolute beast this season. I mean, to get voted out first, day two as well, not even day three. She only made it to day two. Survive as long as she did and then make it back into the game. I mean, she nearly threw it all away with her advantages, but she got there and then basically won away to the end. I mean, there's no doubt that you've got to compare it to Chris Underwood, but I think the, the vast difference between Natalie, and this is not me trying to take away from her, is that she was never, she only went to one tribal council where she wasn't safe and she got voted out. 
right at the end, she yeah. was safe every single time and just kind of won her way to the end. And again, not taking away from her because, I mean, God, the, the drive this woman had to be able to get voted out first, survive all that time and win these advantages and get her way back was absolutely incredible. And I think she actually did a very good speech at Final Tribal and to get four votes at the end as well. Like, you know, she did well. But, I mean, what was your take on, 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 on Natalie? I mean... She's an entertaining character. I've I've never been huge on her win as much as some people have been on San Juan del Sur. But, I mean, she goes down as a fantastic character in this show and somebody who I'd definitely love to see come back for a third time. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a huge fan of her from her first season, the amazing, her first and second season, the Amazing Race. And her second season, the Amazing Race, was much like her second season, the Survivor. She didn't last very long. Um <laughs> Again, as a character, and I think you know, of all the people that I've ever, of all the survivors I've ever talked to on the show, uh, her and Nadia still stand as like the most fun I've ever had. You know, interviewing anybody. But you know, as a player, I appreciate her win in San Juan del Sur. I actually really loved her win in San Juan del Sur. I, I rank her quite high as as you know a winner, especially since she had to completely reconfigure her game so late in the season. But for me, the frustration isn't her. It's the Edge of Extinction twist. Now, it makes for a very entertaining season. And I know I, I've seen some people and even heard from some people who are like, you know, oh, but she played such a great game. I'm like, but she played such a great game of Extinction. She didn't play Survivor. And I think I I defend Chris Underwood's win a lot more than most people do just because it's not his fault. He played – when he did come back in the game – he definitely played harder than Natalie did this time around. Um, she had a lot of advantages. Like this is where my objection to if she had ever won would come from. She got to play advantages against people, advantages to help people. And I think that was the case she made. I controlled this game from the outside. But she was controlling this game based on what the producers gave her to control this game. And none of the people she was sitting against in the end. And let's throw Denise and um, – uh, Sarah in there too. None of the other people who she potentially would have been sitting there with at the end had any opportunity to play against her. And I think that's my objection. She could extort Tony. There is no way that Tony had the same amount of advantages or challenges or opportunities to say, you get to extort somebody on an extinction. So if this had ever come down to Natalie winning to me, that would have been the worst thing to ever happen to survivor. Not because I dislike Natalie. I love Natalie but because it would be the worst thing for the game of Survivor to have two Edge of Extinction seasons, which, let's be honest, the producers probably never wanted somebody from Edge of Extinction to win. They simply want this so that there's the opportunity. Both times they've done it, there's returning players in the season. They want to make sure that returning players stick around for ratings purposes. They want the audience to be able to connect with the characters they know the best. But I doubt even Jeff Propes would want another Edge of Extinction winner because it does sour the game. And she played incredibly for what she was playing, but she was playing a completely different game. This would be like if you had a season of Big Brother and a season of Survivor happening at the same time and a Big Brother player got to enter the Survivor game at the final five or final six and they end up going on to win. But they weren't playing against the people that they beat in the end. That's what my problem is. It's like when Lil and Burton came back, you know, we all remember mm-hmm. how everyone talked that down at the time and then Lil obviously got to the end. Uh, you know, and imagine if Lil had a one. God, that would have been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, no, it's it is interesting. And I think too, like she what, Chris played sixteen, eighteen days basically mm-hmm. for his win. Natalie would have played seven. 
uh, you know, yeah. something ridiculous like that. And, like, I, I I know I'm with you when you say about with Chris and, you know, I remember we talked about it earlier on this season. Like, it's, it's not Chris's fault. Chris did what he could do. Natalie did what she could do. But I think, you know, in, in terms of, you know, accurately ranking these people in terms of what they did, you know, Chris is default last. And, again, it's not his fault, but he just kind of has to be. And then Natalie would have been down there as well for this individual one. And it gets mm-hmm. not taking away from the place because you do what you are given. You, you, you know, you, yeah. you if you get an opportunity to play something, you're not going to say, no, I'm a true spirit of the game. I don't believe in this. Like, you're going to do what you do to win this game. And seasons adapt and things have to go along there. You and I, I think, are a little bit more of traditionalists when we're kind of like, you know, so many advantages here, there and everywhere. This is what a lot of people rely on now to win the game and that's fine. That's that's what modern Survivor is. But, you know, we had many winners this season, you know, Ethan, you know, Amber, Rob, you know, people like this who weren't playing with advantages and things like that, they still won and I don't think you take away from their win just because they didn't have a... 50-50 flip coin to get them to the end or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was great watching Natalie, though. Just just fight. That, that woman's a beast. Mm-hmm. What an absolute incredible person yeah, and she is. Again, I, I so appreciate what she did for Extinction for this season because yeah. it made me want to tune into Extinction every single week. Uh, and it's not taking away from her at all. She was the player of the season of Edge of Extinction. She just wasn't the survivor player of the season. And uh, you could say, you know, oh, it'd be great to do a season without any twists. Again, I'm not for a season with no twists, no idols. It would be nice to pare it down a little bit because <laughs> it does get a bit out of control. But if for the same reason that I say it's not about the fire challenge, it's about just switching things up with the players. You do need twists like this to keep the players thinking on their feet and to not have them uh, you know, just doing a predictable game every single season. But Edge of Extinction is its own thing. You don't have to vote somebody out of Edge of Extinction. So she was able to control what happened in the game, but the people in the game weren't able to control what happened on her side. So it's an unfair advantage. And I think that that point was brought up very early in the season that the first person out on Edge of Extinction almost has an unfair advantage because they're going to have more opportunities to collect fire tokens than somebody who's there for three days right at the end, you know? Mm. Um and again, that's not taking away from her. Again, she played a great Edge of Extinction game, but she wasn't involved in vote out. She, when it, when it ultimately comes down to it, do you award the best player of the season as somebody who played that? This is why I always hate when somebody says they won all of the immunity challenge. That's one part of Survivor. That's why they say outwit, outplay, and outlast. By default, she didn't outwit, outplay, and outlast. You know, she outwitted people on her side of the island. And what she outwitted of people playing in the game was with producer influence. If, if people are going to be upset with Ben and say that the game was rigged in Ben's favor, would they have the same you know, frustration with Natalie for it being rigged in her favor as well? Uh, she didn't outplay because she was the first one out. She didn't outlast because she was the first one out. So by default, she doesn't meet those three criteria. The only thing she meets it on is being able to beat Danny and Rob and Parvati and Ethan. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a very good point, actually, with that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if we're going to see Edge of Extinction back. I mean, there was that whispers around that Propes had said that this was going to be a permanent addition, but then I think he's backtracked on that now. So, that's also yeah, I mean, every single island twist always turns out to be crap. So, I mean... And this is the best they've done with it. Yeah. But it took an all-star season 
to to have this really work, you know? I mean, Redemption Island, the best it worked was on Blood vs. Water. We all agreed that Mm -hmm. that was kind of the best time it worked. And, but even then it's kind of like, yeah, we've had enough now. Let's, let's move on. So yeah. Um, a couple of things I just want to touch on. Uh, I just really want to touch on Denise. I mean, I for sure thought Sarah was going at that vote. Cause I'm like, well, Denise hasn't had a confessional. Denise has had no edit. There's no way she's going home right now. What was with that? Like Denise just goes without any screen time. Poor Denise. Yeah. But I think that I'm kind of on board with that for the same reason that we all love Jeremy's vote out, Josh's vote out, you know, uh, because it was a way to surprise the audience. You know, you are expecting this is going to be Sarah. This is going to be Sarah. Uh, I think the frustration for that would be Denise played such a strong game. She made the single biggest move of the entire season. You know, uh, really, even if you go all the way to the end, there's no move bigger than the Sandra vote out. And, you know, that was all her. Um, and she was such a major player and a major character and talk about somebody who came in without a target on their back. And yeah, there are people like Michelle who I think improved their game the second time around, at least from the point of view of the audience, cause we didn't get to see her game enough the first time around. Uh, you know, there's people like Adam who maybe <laughs> their game took a hit. Um, <laughs> then there's people like Denise who I don't think any of the players saw as a real threat, but yet if you watch her on Philippines, like I, I, she would have been one of the first ones I would have wanted targeted, you know. Yeah. Uh, like she, she was a very threatening player even the first time around. She really didn't do anything different this time, except she didn't lose as much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that she was hands down a threat to go home. So I actually wonder that who would be the person you would be more threat if you don't have the opportunity of taking out Tony. Are you more afraid of Denise or are you more afraid of Sarah? Because Jamie was like, "Oh, it's it's got to be Sarah," and I'm like, I wouldn't vote out Sarah. Because Denise has that move on her resume where she's going to beat you in the end. I'm like, Denise would be my my target too. But from an editing point of view, like I can see what you're saying because she wasn't even a factor in the episode at all. I, yeah. And like, I'm a mad Denise fan. I'm actually very happy she made it to final six because, I mean, she's somebody that I thought would probably make it far. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, she's just such an amazing woman. I love Denise so much, so it was great. But just sad to get that edit. The other one, we haven't really talked about Michelle. Uh, I mean, look, I know you and I the other week talked about her a little bit. Uh, I don't think you and I were mad Michelle fans ever. I mean, I've been honest in saying that I often forgot she won because I think there was a, there was a, a photo at a charity event that came out like a year or two after she had won, and it was like, hey, these are all the winners that are, you know, here at this event. And, you know, you had Rob, you had Sandra, you know, Richard Hatch, I think, was there. And then there was this one woman. I'm going, who the hell's that? And I'm like, oh, Michelle, right, she won like last year. And, like, that's <laughs> not me trying to disrespect Michelle. I just honestly forgot that she had won Survivor. But this time around, like, she was just entertaining. She was she was fun. Yeah. She was just something about her that, like, really made me like watching her. So I, for one, would love to see her come back a third time. And I just loved her energy and her, her vibe and everything. And I also love the fact that she likes to call our co-hosts by different names. So, uh, <laughs> Rocky, if you're listening, how you going, friend? <laughs> Um, if anybody has listened to the exit interviews, I mean, that turned into an all evening thing for us that (laughs) Rossi is the biggest Michelle fan. Um, even for the first time around, I mean, him and I talked for all season on co-wrong, just disagreeing on her, which again, for me, just came down to the fact that we don't see her do anything. I still stand by the fact she is not enough of a presence in co-wrong for me to even form an opinion on her. 
and, and that's why I think it, it caught me so off guard this time around as a character that she was that entertaining because she's so much fun to watch. And it's partly because she is a bit of a disaster. I mean, she makes good moves. Even Rossi admitted last week. He's like, yeah, she has made a lot of mistakes this season, but she's made some good moves too. And I appreciate that because we see both sides of her. I'm the same way with Adam this season. Adam might t- to me have been the most entertaining thing this entire season to watch. And he played an awful game. And I'm the same with Michelle. She made some truly terrible mistakes. Uh, and I don't think that she was quite as self-aware as she thought she was. I love that she went out there and said, I want to prove that my win wasn't a fluke. And I, I love even more that Ben even said, hey, you know what? You're not the only one. You know, <laughs> like there's a lot of us out here. And Because I think that Survivor fans can now maybe take a look at themselves and be like, you know, stop criticizing people's wins based on – Either you didn't like it because of a twist that was out of their control like Chris or Ben or because, you know, they weren't enough of a presence due to editing like, you know, Natalie White or Michelle. Um, But as a character, like she stepped up this season and you even asked her, you know, we want you to come back for another season. Like to me, I I don't think I'll ever view her as the winner of Survivor because to me, she emerges as the player, not the player, the character of this season. And and I I understand she is a winner. I understand she played a game and she played it, you know, a good game this time, too, even though she really was never in control. What I found most interesting about Michelle was that she um, two things. One, I think, as I said, she didn't have the self-awareness to realize that she wasn't um, as much in control of her success in the game as she thought she was because – when she said right at the end, you know, I, I proved that I could do this and I got all the way to the final three. And I think I even mentioned it to you. She got to the final four because of Sarah and Tony and Ben's mistake or Ben and Sarah's mistake. She got to the final three because Natalie took her. She didn't do anything in the finale to improve her game. Um, and then the other part, which I actually really appreciate, I don't remember if it was in the interview with you or if it was another one that I saw of her or read with her or listened to in the last couple of days, uh, where she said she misunderstood all the people giving her fire tokens, meaning I'm going to have their votes at the end. And I love that, that she was willing to own up to, you know what, I had the wrong idea. I got a little bit too overconfident because everybody's giving me fire tokens and I thought this means they want me to win. So when I got to the end, I thought I was going to have a lot of these votes. And I think that's great because it shows that she will learn and she will change. She's very similar to Sarah in that she's had a couple of moments where she was definitely overconfident and it cost her. That's one of the reasons why she, you know, it was sort of always fighting at the bottom. And I find it funny a lot of people got behind her for the season just because she was fighting the whole season. But you also have to remember she was fighting from the bottom and it wasn't working a lot of the season. But even the fact that she acknowledged that in the final episode and you know said, you know what, my mistake was I only ever had that one ally. I didn't think in big enough numbers. I thought I've got this bo- guy. I've got this guy. You know, I, they're 100% loyal to me. And that was her downfall. The fact that she admitted that in the final tribal council, again, I appreciate. I don't so much appreciate a great game that she played this season. I love her as a character, but I appreciate that she's somebody who's open and honest enough, even in front of the jury, to say, I made a mistake in this game, and if I come back, I'm not making it again. Outside of Michelle and Adam, are there any other winners this time around that, based on what you saw this season, you would like to see 
come back again and play for a third, fourth, fifth, sixth time? Um, like there's people I, I like that we saw a different side of them. I like that we saw a different side of Ben. I like that we saw a different side of Nick. Uh, it's a lot of these recent winners that just didn't have good edits in their season. I mean, Nick definitely had a very heavy edit in his season, but he wasn't necessarily exciting. This time I found him at least exciting. Uh, I think it would really just come down to those two. Like uh, for me, I'm okay with everybody just sitting out from now on and being like, you know, this is my legacy. I'm just going to live with it. Although Ethan, hmm. I definitely want to see Ethan again. <laughs> it, it wouldn't matter. It's not even just because I love Ethan. Like there's something about him where it, it was so different. And the guy who has this, this story of, I just want to prove that I can do this. He's the Rocky Balboa now. It's not this this strategic mastermind. He's like, I, Rocky. <laughs> Sorry, Rocky. the Anthony Rocky. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> like honestly, that was the best thing I've seen in a long time. Her calling Rossi Rocky. I don't even know why. But um, but but yeah, like just this this survival story. You know, which we've seen on Amazing Race. We've seen it on Survivor now. It would be so great to have him again. But like Adam and Michelle as characters, bring them back any season. Fire tokens, complete waste of time. Um, I think that it provided some entertainment throughout the season. Uh, and, and I liked the idea of kind of what Michelle was saying. It looks like this player is being backed. Like I found it really funny. If you actually let's look at the fire tokens, you want to talk about another advantage, disadvantage. I'm struggling to think about if any man was given a fire token this season, every exiting player, I think I saw gave their fire tokens to a female player. Mm. But then again, when you saw in the end that the votes went to Tony, like I liked that, that it kind of had me guessing a lot of the time thinking, Oh, this person's going to vote for them when they get to the end and that didn't end up playing in. And some of the the things they used it for were great. I, I like the idea of you can give advantages to players in the game, but it's not a survivor currency. Like, what does it actually amount to in the end? It's just a way for the extinction players to participate in the game in case they ever get to the final so you don't have that Chris criticism. Uh, it's a one-and-done thing. It was fun for this season. It didn't really change the game in any way, but I don't think I'd want to see it again. I think at the top of my head it would have only been Amber surely giving Rob a token that would have been the only one that I can think yeah. of. Um. Yeah. Uh, and just but another interesting fact. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um. Fun fact as well that this was the first season featuring returning winners that a man won because what all yeah. stars, heroes, villains, and game changers all had females win. So this is mm-hmm. the first time that that's happened. Uh, one little thing I want to touch on just the, the moment after Natalie got back into the game and sort of the the little send offs from all the edge people. Just one that stuck to me was Amber. Uh, was kind of her sort of talking about how, you know, oh, people don't think I deserve to win and people only think that I won. Because, like, that to me was really heartbreaking because, like, I I get it. I guess that has been a a long-term criticism and I've been a part of that at some points in my life talking about Survivor. But, like, the fact that that's kind of stuck with Amber after all these years, like, I've I've grown to defend Amber's game a little bit more, but I'm still, you know, she's sadly a bottom few winner. But, like, I don't know, like, something about Amber. Like, she she's one I'd love to see come back and play, and she never will. Uh, it was very surprising that she came back and played this time around. But um, I don't know, that, 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 that cut me a little bit. I was like, oh, poor Amber, give her a hug, Rob. Like, that's sad. Okay, um, I mean, we're going to disagree here. Huh? <laughs> this what do you is- say? Suck it up, Amber. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, well, here's the thing. I mean, anybody who knows me, you know, uh, at least has known me since I've watched Survivor knows that like Amber, 
not my favorite player. I, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I loved what Rob did in All Stars so much that yeah, uh, I was just frustrated he didn't get it. And it is frustrating because uh, here, okay, let, let me start by making the argument of her game in All Stars. I don't think she deserved to win for one reason. It, it's the same thing about you know why did Sarah have to make a move outside of Tony? Why did Tony have to make moves outside of Sarah? Rob was conscious enough to know that he had to play a game when Amber wasn't around, and he did. Amber's only move she made when Rob wasn't involved was pleading for a tribe to keep her over Jerry. And her argument was, keep me, I'm better at challenges. But they knew they were one episode away from individual immunity challenges, which is the worst argument you could possibly make. So the only thing I ever saw her do outside of Rob really is is an underlooked bad move and and terrible you know uh social strategic whatever uh speech that somebody made but i actually had a different yeah yeah i appreciate you know hearing somebody say oh i didn't deserve to win but to me she backed it up because she said you know i i also have have never been appreciated i i i was told my win i didn't deserve to win my season and then she follows it up by saying the only reason i'm here is this guy rob because he loves this game so much like She's making a speech for him being <laughs> the ultimate survivor player when she beat him in the season. And she's wanting us to feel sorry for her because we're being told she didn't deserve to win a season. And she's basically telling us this is about him. It's not about me. Like, like I can't feel bad for her because of that. And again, it's not against her. I just think I, I actually believe she is. She's probably just a really bad person at forming her thoughts because <laughs> the arguments I'm making here is all just. She probably means to say one thing and it comes out the wrong way, but it's just the fact that it comes out the wrong way. I'm like, I can't back a person who's that bad at defending themselves. So basically, she's me. I basically just take other people's opinions. Yes. And then, <laughs> yeah. That's why I feel sorry for her in this instance. I mean, look, again. Well, I was wrong, okay? <laughs> d- d- different episode, different debate. Like, I, I definitely don't disagree with what you're saying about All Stars, but I also think that she aligned with someone that got it to the end and then she was able to basically play up the fact that, hey, well, you all hate him and, hey, I'm here now, so give me the money. Um, like, again, she gave a I great final tribal speech at the end and I will always say that about well, Amber. And, and I, I understand the jury that time around. But smart move on her p- part, I guess, to put herself against that person, but did she do anything in the game on her own other than uh, – really, it's not like she was going to make the choice, you know what – I can team up with Rob or I can team up with this guy. You know, yeah. I, I I think that it was it was just a set thing from the beginning. So, uh, yeah, argument for another episode. But her saying, oh, uh, feel bad for me because I people say I didn't deserve my win and then following it up with Rob deserved the win. <laughs> no, not not necessarily the best articulation there, Amber. Also, do appreciate. Amber, I also do appreciate a good crybaby boss and Rob moment, though. It just reminds me, I feel like it's getting the best of me. <laughs> Be a crybaby-itis from boss and Rob. It's been 20 seasons. <laughs> but, like, him going up and giving that speech uh, when he delivered his vote, you know, I said you had to play a perfect game, and you did, except you didn't take out Tony. <laughs> Great moment. That could have been, like, Let's just reveal that right before we reveal the votes. And this is the thing with Boston Rob. Like, I would, I would honestly, after this season, like to see him again. And like, he clearly, you know, six times yeah. is too many times. But I mean, you know, I'm with you what you're saying about All Stars. Like, I'm not a Boston Rob fan. I've always said that. But like, you know, again, had he won All Stars, you know, to me, he's a top 10 winner. But 
I just there was just something about in this season that was just so goddamn entertaining, and I just I loved every minute of seeing this guy who really should have gone out first. Just able to get people emptying their bags out and kind of, you know, just the buddy system, which, okay, was kind of dumb, but it's still, like, it's kind of just entertaining that people were almost entertaining this idea. Like, it's kind of like this guy has such a presence that you're kind of almost scared into doing what he says. Look, you have to appreciate these players who just had the target and there was no chance. And Richard Hatch was the original of these, you know? Oh, yeah. He went out in All-Stars. And was like, I know I'm not winning this game. Let me just see if I can catch a shark. You know, <laughs> and that was enough for him. Um, he did a couple other things too, but let's not talk about that. Uh, but um, allegedly, he, allegedly, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I you have to at least give the benefit of the doubt to those players, like Tony in Game Changers, you know, like Sandra in Game Changers, like Richard in All Stars, like Tom in Heroes vs. Villains as far as they got was as far as I think they were ever going to get. And I, I definitely, you know, can understand people being like, why would he even try the buddy system again? What else was he going to do? Yeah. It was his best shot. He was going home no matter what. So as much as I hate the buddy system, just because it made for the single most boring season ever, you can appreciate. I don't care about ratings. I don't care about entertainment at this point. I'm going to do something. If it's going to make me win, even if I make this the worst season of survivor in history, and, that's and why, why Amber said, he, he loves and appreciates this game more than anybody. He didn't. Say, she didn't say this show. He said this game. Which, again, at the end of the day, no matter what your thoughts are on someone like Boston Rob, I mean, this guy has a, a legion of fans. He has left a legacy for this show. And it's, you know, this guy, yeah, Mount Rushmore of Survivor. Like, you know, he's kind of got to be there. And it's it's sort of like, as we said, I think, on this season, it's like, you know, you had your four that should should have been on this season no matter what. And that was always going to be Sandra Boston, Rob Poverty and Richard. Um, but, you know, here we are. Oh, and, loved what Richard did this season. Oh, how, how do you think Richard would have gone this season? He's a little, I know this is an impossible question to answer, but I mean, you know, based on how this season played out, let's, let's take away, I don't know, sorry, Nick, you're not on this season. Let's put Hatch on there yeah. instead. Let's put... Yeah, how how do you think Richard Hatch handles modern Survivor? Um, I, I think just based on the new school obliterating the old school, I don't think he gets very far. But I think that we would be talking about Richard instead of Rob and Parvati as the ones that's like, I can't believe they got as far as they did. Because if anybody would have made it the furthest of the old schoolers, I think it probably would have been Richard. Yeah. Oh, God. What an opportunity missed. I mean, he was so just so taking Nick out of the equation, he would have been on a tribe with Tony, Sarah, Kim, oh. Sophie, Tyson, and Wendell, really- Yule, Sandra, Richard and Sandra together. Can you imagine the cockiness <laughs> there? Oh, <laughs> uh, and, and you can see so much of Richard's game in Tony, too, you know, oh. like, I, like I, just not even just his first time around and, and his winning strategy, but. The fact that he's like, you know, I'm going to throw the attention off myself by just pretending I'm here to have a good time. Like, Tony is Richard 2.0. I mean, just based on the fact that he was probably the first person to, you know, control the game that dominantly since Richard, who who, the person who should have never made the finals. Like, oh, to see them play together. uh, You know what? If they can just bring Richard back for an Island of the Idols, too. I don't like Island of the Idols, but Tony and Richard, Island of the Idols, too. Yeah. I, I would be I would be there. I will I would like to be there, but like I'd also be there watching it. Yeah. <laughs> um, this final episode, what are what are you doing with it? Buying, renting, binning? Oh 
buying, even though, like I said, when Sarah went home, I was so crushed, even though I completely understood it. Uh, it, it, it frustrated me for the whole second half of the episode where I was still having trouble recovering even at the final tribal. But I mean, it was great TV the whole way through. And, and I think we had probably the best people. We didn't even talk about Ben much other than his <laughs> one move, but what else are we going to, but we had the best people to make this a great scene. It's the same reason that all stars works and even heroes versus villains works. Even if you have some questionable people at the end, cause it's just, it's the, the, the right people clicking and, and it's the right outcome for a season. I agree. Completely agree. Um, and I mean, realistically think back to all our full all star seasons. Have we had a bad final four? I, I don't think we have. I mean, that's, People are yelling at the screen or the speakers right now, but I mean, what? Rupert, um, Jenna, B- Boss and Robin Amber, great final four. I was entertained. Heroes, villains, Jerry, for fuck's sake. Uh, Poverty, Russell, Sandra, great. What, Cambodia was what? Jeremy, Spencer, Tash, and was it Kelly final four? It was, wasn't it? Uh, at least the first three are great. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, and what? Game <laughs> changes. We had what? Ty, uh, Troy Zan, uh, Brad and Sarah. So, yeah, great. Yeah. Was it Kelly fourth? Was it was Keith? Who was fourth in second chances? It was Kelly. God, I should be good <laughs> was at it? this. <laughs> it wasn't Kimmy because she was robbed at the end of that stupid yeah. freaking <laughs> twist. Oh, this is annoying me now. This is where I should edit this out to make me sound smart. <laughs> Who was fourth? It was Instead, Kimmy. Instead, we're just going to stall and talk about how <laughs> No, it was Kelly. I was right the way. first time. It was Kelly. God, Ben, back yourself, man. Now you can edit this out and just have none of the speculation. Yeah, yeah you'd think I would do that, but I didn't. But um, anyway, um, so two quick things. Season 41 is happening. Don't know what it is. <laughs> like, this is the first time we don't know. Let's just throw out some random twists out there. I'm going to go with Canada versus USA still because I think it should happen. Since yeah. now 16-year-olds apparently can apply for Survivor, I'm going to go oh. with fathers versus daughters or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's it. That's uh, I'm going to go for wooden table island. I don't know. They need to fill in some new island <laughs> where everyone gets a wooden table that can sleep on and if you use it incorrectly, you get sent to Chair Island. I have no idea. Um, yeah, I mean, this is odd. I, this is so strange not knowing what season is next. And did they have a cast in place? I think before so. Before production was called on? I think they had everything in place and ready to go. I, I could be wrong there, but... Um, and yet they're still asking for applicants, so obviously they're not determined this is going to be it yeah and but like i love jeff when he's like oh we've got plenty of ideas out there i'm like bullshit you know you're gonna look at that cast on paper and go hey we've got lots of people from nebraska and we've got lots of people from kansas nebraska versus kansas season like (laughs) i don't know it's it's Uh, i don't like not knowing See, I, I just don't like the 16 and 17 year olds playing survivor uh (laughs) it's just uh do we really need that? And, and yeah, we, we kind of had the same thought when Canadians could apply. It's going to be Canada versus U.S. And they ended up picking one Canadian out of, what, 20 people. I, I have a feeling that's probably what we're going to get. I think they're just opening it up to 16 and 17 year olds. They'll probably pick one 17 year old to play just to say, hey, we did it. So we can, you know, check that off. Youngest player in the history of Survivor and just never do it again. Um I don't know what they'll do for twists. Like it's almost like they're running out of ideas. Uh, you know, this is, I guess, a, a show that might be quicker to recover from COVID than something like Amazing Race or you know, B- oh, Big Brother 
was uh, at least the Canadian version. They actually stopped, I think, three weeks in. They canceled it and they sent everybody home. Uh, but that was more for the sake of, I guess, you know, the the, the crew than the, the people were stuck in a house. But the idea that they're stuck on an island is probably not as much of a concern as people going through airports and everything. I don't see it as unlikely that they're going to get something ready. But I think we're probably not going to see this season until maybe a November start date, if that. A lot of people are sort of suggesting that this is where CBS should be airing like weekly classic seasons. And I mean, that'd be a cool idea to do. But I mean, I don't know if they'd do that because they've got them all what on their CBS All Access or whatever it's called. But um, yeah, I look, I I still can't fathom how they haven't done USA versus Canada. It just screams obvious (laughs) now that you've got it. Um, But yeah, I don't know how I feel about 16 and 17 year olds. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see like some 16 year old kid out there trying to survive. But also, I mean, we still haven't had a player who was born after Survivor aired, so maybe they're just really trying to push for this because it's, it's interesting. Yeah. We haven't had a Survivor contestant born in, in this millennium yet, so, um, you know, that's going to happen within, surely, the next 12 months it will finally happen. So, yeah, and in terms of us, Colin Hilding, um, for Survivor coverage, I don't know if we know what we're doing. <laughs> um, I mean, no. we've sort of had conversations where we've kind of thought, like, we, we might be retiring from Survivor survivor coverage and kind of not doing our weekly recaps because you know it's been fun doing it this season we sort of brought it back a little bit for island of the idols of course as well but i think just in terms of what we're doing with the show i mean we always transition more into an open-ended show rather than just purely covering survivor of course when we transition into the odds network but it's it's not that we don't want to it's just i think we're we're enjoying focusing on other things as well so I mean, if I have to say what I think we're doing based on what we've talked about, it's more of a case of we might come back with a one-off episode every now and then. If there is a season where all of a sudden it is USA versus Canada or something like that, which it really tickles our fancy, we might bring back the weekly coverage. But from my perspective, I think right now we're going to be retiring the weekly recaps and just maybe doing a a special episode every now and then. But uh, I don't think, Mm -hmm. at least from my perspective, I don't know if I have the drive to to cover it weekly like we we have this season and any other seasons moving into the future. So maybe a semi-retirement, we can say here from Survivor coverage. It takes a lot of time, especially when we cover, I mean, even just on the Oz Network, I mean, Ben and I, do at least a movie recap a week, which isn't like a one, one and a half hour episode. Those can sometimes be three hour episodes. And then you add our other shows on there, like double Oz seven and you every once in a while off the podium and you've got the Australian survivor thing that to commit to a recap a week is a lot. I mean, even with the amazing race, you know, we've done some seasons on and off where we'll cover every episode. And then some seasons we'll just do, Oh, it's a mid season check in. It's an end of the season. You know, maybe there's potential for something like that. But I think also just as far as like, what will get listeners? I I've noticed that we seem to get the most um, interest and the more downloads when we're doing these one-off things like ranking the seasons or Marquesas reunion or you know random interview with this person here and there. So I think that that's more appealing to us, and I think it's something that's more interesting to listen to because it really anybody can do just a weekly recap. And I think this season we wanted to do this weekly recap. Um, but it's it's more entertaining, I think, for everybody just to do these one-off episodes and these projects every once in a while, like a rankings thing. Yeah, completely. And we have a couple of ideas for how to do rankings in the future for all different types of, you know, uh, subjects that would actually get, you know, more interaction where people can kind of have their own say in it too. Absolutely. And I think it's 
I, everything you said, like it's not that we don't want to or things like that, but, you know, times change, life changes, things that happen. I mean, would we love to be able to bring you the content we used to on Survivor Oz? Of course we would, but we sadly can't commit to that. Um, but, you know, it's it's not that we don't enjoy talking about the show anymore and things like that, but it's, yeah, I think kind of taking a bit of a break from doing these weekly uh, and going back to sort of what we had done for a little bit more. But we'd we never say never. We're not completely ruling out Survivor because we realise you're still our core audience Survivor fans out there. Is, is there something funny? Is Rocky on the line or something? Or- <laughs> I just love that we're, we're having this debate literally right after we said, hey, for the first time ever, Survivor's not coming up anytime soon. <laughs> The decision was made for us. Yep. We don't have recaps. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> CBS has said, no, Oz Network, stop covering yeah. it. We're going to do that. But um, just stay tuned. Uh, I, I, we will We will do what we do. Um, we, we've spoken to a few of the players on this season who are said to me that they're keen to come back on the show for a chat. So, I mean, we might have a random interview here or there with sort of a, a former player of this season. Um, I'm not going to call it a deep dive because, you know, this is just what we do on this show. <laughs> All these other shows who are like, oh, let's have a deep dive. It's a two-hour interview. This is a long interview. It's like, please, two hours is a short interview listen for to, us. Yeah, listen to Dan Foley, okay? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> deep dive. I'll give you a deeper dive. Um, it's, but it's been fun covering this season, though. I mean, I think we've had, what, six former winners come on for recaps. Um Obviously, you had poverty into the mix. You know, you had Boston Rob in our Marquesas uh, episode, and we had the the final three of this season joining us for exit interview. So, you know, nearly to have about ten or eleven winners, I guess, join us at some point throughout this season has been it's been a pleasure to be able to chat with them and bring them to your speakers as well. So, it's been a lot of fun, and we're happy that at least Survivor isn't cancelled now. It's still going. <laughs> so, maybe I don't know. So it's been a lot of fun, but yeah, winners at war. It's done and dusted. It's over with. I can't believe it, but it's been a lot of fun covering this season. My name is Ben. Thanks for listening. And this guy's name is not Rocky. <laughs> and my name is Colin and Ariva Deverci. Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening and we'll speak to you next time.